0: have you ever noticed that uh, god created a symbiotic universe he created a symbiotic universe he created a universe of interdependence think about it everything uh in the created universe which includes you is dependent on something else now you might feel because you're an american you know you might feel independent but you're not you need food you need shelter you need water you need a lot of things. As humans, we are creatures, and need is a creature word, right? So we have needs as creatures. You cannot live free of needs. Even if you move out to the farthest ends of Cave Junction and decide that you're going to live off the land, guess what? You're living off the land, right? You still have needs. The land is satisfying those needs. We're creatures. And God created the universe that way. It's part of His design pre fall. Humans ate. We ate before the fall. We needed things before the fall. We need energy. In the 90s, right, we know the movie. It's the circle of life. Mufasa uh, is is explaining to Simba this reality. It's a circle of life, son. You see the antelope eat the grass, and then the antelope die, and the grass eat the antelope. Uh, or no, the lions eat the I'm messing it up. The lions eat the antelope, and the antelope eat the grass, and then the ground eats the antelope, and it's all very morbid. Um, But it's the circle of life, okay? We all depend on each other. There's a a sense of symbiosis here, interdependence. Now, why did God make the world like this? Why did he make us such creatures of need? Why did he make us function in a world where we have to to, to depend on things, food, every day? You need food, every day you need water. I'd suggest to you that even though God is not a creature, he is creator, meaning he has no needs, But that when God created creation, he created it to reflect himself, his own nature. So he created this creation in such a way that was meant to mirror a reality about him and who he is. There is a reality that we believe as Christians called the Trinity. The Trinity, the Godhead, that God is three in one. And though God has no needs because he is not a creature, God does true, choose to live within the interdependence of the, of the Godhead. We see this in uh, Scripture. We see this in Jesus' life, right? When, when Jesus gets dunked, we'll look at this next week, actually. Jesus gets dunked into the water by John the Baptist, and he comes out. The Holy Spirit shows up, and then the Father shows up, and Jesus is displaying publicly his dependence, his interdependence on the Spirit who comes to animate his ministry and then Jesus spends the rest of his life glorifying the Father. It's the inner trinitarian uh, interdependence of the Godhead. Uh, we see this, uh, C.S. Lewis called it the great dance. Think about a dance, it's about making your partner look good. When Jesus walked, he walked in such a way that made the Father look good. And, and the Father ever lives to glorify the Son. And within the Godhead, there's this, this symbiosis. There's this, this looking to glorify one another. Now, when Jesus came into this world, he came into this world for the purpose of including his bride, his church, into that great dance of the Trinity. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to have you turn there, but I just want you to listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17. This is kind of some of his final words to his church. He says, I'm praying for them. Uh, They're listening to this prayer, obviously, as he's praying to the Father. He says, I'm praying for them, not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. Now listen to this, that they may be one, even as we are one. Who's we? Who's we? The Trinity. No, no, no. No, listen. One, the church. You're close. You're close. Thanks for taking a stab at it. The church is one, even as what is one? The Godhead. The Trinity is one. He keeps going. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, future Christians. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us. So what he's doing here, notice the pattern here is he's saying, I want the church to be one. Why? Because God in his Trinitarian nature is one. So when we are one, we are reflecting the oneness of God. I know this is all kind of big and ethereal and theological, but it's really, really important because when God created creation, he did it in such a way that it was meant to reflect him. And it reflects him most when it is most interdependent. It reflects him most when it is most aligned with one another according to his will. Now, isn't it interesting, don't you find it interesting that that one of the things our sinful flesh desires to do is to not be interdependent, but to be dependent? Isn't that interesting? It's almost as though our flesh wants to do something contrary to what God made us to do. See, God made us to be interdependent, and we like to be dependent. In fact, we've almost built an entire economy based on it, haven't we? The suburban life, man, I just drive right in my my garage, shut the garage door, no one needs to know I exist, I can go get my own groceries. In fact, I can have my groceries delivered. If I ever run out of money, I got a credit card. It's great. Social security. I don't need to ask anybody for anything. I don't need anything. I am dependent. Pardon me. I'm independent. I don't need anybody. This is how much of us live our life. The reason I think that that's worth noting is because I think that's actually Satan's work. I think, let me just put all my cards out here. I think Satan wants to keep you independent. I think he wants to keep you from being interdependent on the body of Christ, And I think he's done a pretty good job at it on the West in the West. I really do. We we live in a culture where we don't need to ask each other for help. Got it. I'm good. We rarely do. Christian unity and interdependency is not just an option for the church. It is the church. It is the church. It's always meant to be the church. So what happens? Jesus comes and he redeems the world and the, the redeemed world starts breaking into the broken world. And you know what it looks like? It looks like Acts 2.42. It looks like a bunch of Christians that start taking care of each other. A new community. A community where literally everyone in that community is selling what they have in order to bring it to the apostles' feet so that everyone is cared for. This radical interdependency that we see in Acts 2.42. It's the breaking in of heaven. It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. That the body would be one so that we might reflect the oneness of the Godhead. And Satan hates it. He doesn't want it. He doesn't like it. And why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because today in the, the, the last section of Philippians 4, we get a snapshot of a beautiful interdependence of the body of Christ. The beautiful interdependence of the body of Christ. You know, some of scripture, some scripture is imperatives, tells us something to do. Some scripture is declaratives, it just tells us something that is. This morning's scripture is what I would call a representative. It's like a photograph. We get to see a picture of something that happened between Paul the Apostle and a church called Philippi and the relationship that they had. It's like a personal snapshot. A lot of people think about the Bible, they think, well, God just wrote down a bunch of rules, or he just wrote down a bunch of stories. In reality, in in many ways, Scripture is very much a history. It's a snapshot of history. This is a real thing that happened at a real time with real people. And what we get to do this morning is we get to look and get this insight into this photograph, if you will, of Paul sending a thank you card to the church at Philippi. We get to learn something about the relationship that they had, the interdependence that they had on one another, and it's beautiful. And it's all rooted and all meant to reflect the prayer of Jesus in John 17, that we would be one, because God is one. So what Paul's doing here is he's forming, I taught you the word last week, he's forming an inclusio. An inclusio is a theological term that whenever uh, there is uh, a subject brought up at the beginning and a subject brought at the end, everything in the middle belongs to that. How did Paul start the epistle? He started, if you remember, seven weeks ago, Paul started the epistle by thanking the the Philippian church for their support and their partnership in the gospel. And now how is he ending the letter? He's ending the letter in thanking them for uh, their support and their partnership in the gospel. So it really kind of gives away in many ways the theme and the subject matter of this book. And that's why we've been talking so much about the body and what it looks like to be the body and to be the church. So Paul's sending... A thank you card here. Now, just a few things to note. Uh, if you remember, Paul is writing this from uh, house arrest in Rome. It's about 62 A.D. He's been uh, wrongfully arrested in Jerusalem, and then he's pled to Caesar. He has the right to go up the up the court system, just sort of like we do. And he's he's said, "I want to I want to appeal to Caesar." So he's uh, over the last few years. He's really the Book of Acts tells us all this. Um, He's going from leader to leader to leader. Finally, he ends up in Rome and he's waiting his day in court. And as he's waiting his day in court, he's, he's probably chained to a Roman soldier um, on house arrest, living on his own dime. Uh, they didn't pay for your meals. They didn't pay for your bed. You know, you, It was on you to, 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 to provide support from outside. Uh, that's how it worked in that time. And Paul uh, is basically only alive at this point because the church at Philippi chose to send some resources to keep him alive. And Paul's deeply f- thankful. So the church at Philippi sent uh, a messenger, Epaphroditus, to bring resources, probably money, probably food, probably fresh clothing, up to Paul, all the way from Philippi, which is in Macedonia, all the way up to Rome. This is a long, long travel. Now, it's not like you could just send some money through Venmo or send some money through PayPal. Okay, the, the, this is literally having to, to take the physical resources all the way to Rome just to keep Paul alive. And this is what this church at Philippi did. It's a really beautiful thing. It's a really unique thing that this church does. It's a really special thing actually and it's it's special that we're talking about it today because two years ago we talked about this very thing when we planted the church. We named this church Philippi in many ways because we want to be like the church at Philippi, a generous church, a church that's about sending, a church that's about supporting ministry, uh, that's about multiplication, multiplication. So it's a really, a really beautiful reality. Now Paul is just taking a moment to give some general and some specific thanks to this church at Philippi, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's jump right in. Verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. By the way, that's the 16th time in this book that he's mentioned rejoicing. Many people identify that as the theme of the book of Philippians. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So, so Paul's saying, I'm thankful that you guys have shown that you're caring about me, that you're thinking of me. Uh, and he said, not that, you, not that you forgot me, but it's that you didn't have the ability to send um, support to me. And now you've, you've been given uh, the ability to send support to me through Epaphroditus. Now this word here, revived, is actually a horticultural word. It's, it's a word that has to do with um, planting and blooming. It can actually uh, be translated, it's the Greek word anathalo, it can be translated to bloom or to renew or to flourish. So Paul's saying, I'm thankful that that your interest and your desire to partner with me and to support me is blooming again. It's being revived. In many ways it reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is producing fruit through the church at Philippi in order to care for um, Paul. Kindness faithfulness, love is being produced through these guys. One commentator says, like a person rejoicing over the signs of spring after a hard winter, so Paul rejoiced to see again the signs of personal concern from Philippi after a long interval of silence. Can you imagine Paul sitting in prison alone, unsure if any of the churches out there that he has spread the gospel to, churches by which, or in which he was a father in the faith to, are they concerned for him? Are they gonna come through for him? Are they gonna consider him? And then here comes Epaphroditus, as Paul is literally starving to death, most likely. Here comes Epaphroditus, this messenger from Philippi, bringing all of the things that he needs. He's feeling loved. He's feeling cared for. He's gushing with thankfulness for these guys. And this is the context in which he's writing. Verse 11 Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we'll come back to that. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. There's some fruit of the spirit right there, kindness. It was kind of you to share my trouble. That word share, note it, we'll come back to it. It's koinonia, fellowship. It was kind of you to have fellowship in suffering with me to become part of this suffering, to step into my jail cell with me and to care about me. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, that that is to say the beginning of me sharing the gospel, when I left Macedonia, Macedonia is the region that Philippi is placed within, no church entered into partnership with me and giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, which is just a couple hours outside of Philippi, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul, again here, is just gushing with thanks. He says, Philippi, not only have you supported me in this particular moment, but you were the only church in all of northern Greece and all really of of his second missionary journey. You were the only church that sent funds to help me. You were the only ones. And you guys did it right away. I mean, within days, if you look at the book of Acts, he left Philippi and then he headed down into Berea and Thessalonica. And by the time he gets to Thessalonica, Philippi had already collected an offering and already sent it down to Paul to support his ministry. He has a really sweet bond with these guys. He's been supported by them. Any of you that have ever been missionaries or have relied on the support of others, you know just how sweet of a connection there is between that because he's living off of their resources. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift... But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now Paul gives some final greetings. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. brothers who are with me greet you. All one family, you know, even though these guys are literally uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, they're all one family. So TJ and Rachel, they're moving to Texas. Cody's moving to Tennessee. Uh, You know, the AGs just moved to South Carolina. We're all still family. AGs texted me this morning and said, happy birthday, Philippi. And it was at five in the morning. And then later, Emily was like, oops, I forgot. (laughs) Three hours ahead, right? We're all one family. Like, we're all connected. We are all one. And so he's saying, greet all the saints Verse twenty-two and all the saints greet you. Now, note this: we've mentioned it before, especially those of Caesar's household. Just a little cool note there that Paul has literally been preaching the gospel to the guards in Caesar's house, and they're getting saved. It's incredible. It's so cool. In verse twenty-three, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And this is how Paul ends this epistle. Now, let's ask some questions. You know, so so what? What do we do with that? How is this? apply to us? What are we to learn here? What I believe this is, is I believe, as I said earlier, this is a snapshot or a photo for us of the interdependence of of the body of Christ. There's the interdependence of the body of Christ that this John 17 unity is breaking in into this very real, very practical, uh, very um, unromantic moment where Paul's sitting in prison and having his very basic needs provided for. And the question I'd like to ask with you this morning, I'd like for us to run after uh, in, in our time and together in the word is this question, how do we have that type of beautiful interdependence in this church? How do we as Christians in America that have been bred on a diet of independence begin to step into a culture where we live with a radical interdependence? How do we start relying on one another? How do we see this beautiful relationship manifested here in this church? This is something that, that I think God is really trying to shape in our church right now. Something God's really trying to work is how do we do the give and take of body life? How do we, how do we receive from one another? How do we give to one another? What does that look like? And I want to suggest just five ingredients, five ingredients for a interdependent life, an interdependent body life. So if you want to jot them down, I'm going to give them all to you up front and then I'll unpack them one by one. And they all come out of this text. Five ingredients. Number one, missional unity. Number two, body diversity. Number three, divine dependency. Number four, humble receptivity. And number five, genuine generosity. Those five ingredients, I think, are what create the soil in which this kind of interdependent relationship can bloom. First, missional unity. The relationship, and we've talked about this before, but the relationship that Paul had with the Philippian church was rooted not in such a way that it was an end in and of itself. The relationship that, that, that what made this relationship so special between this church and this man was the, 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 the connectivity of mission. They were partners, it says literally in chapter 1, partners in the gospel. They were partners in the gospel. I truly believe, I truly believe that what binds us together as Christians is not that we all have a mutual desire for friends, or a mutual desire for community, or a mutual desire to have a place to gather. What binds us together and what will keep us together as a church is mission. Mission. We are on the same mission. Brothers are born in the trenches. What bound Paul to the Philippian church was that they were koinonia, they had fellowship, partnership, community in the gospel, in seeing it spread and seeing it further. That has to be the the underpinnings, it has to be the foundation stones of the relationships that we build at this church. Otherwise, they become self-defeating because we come into the community to gain something rather than to see something happen. We want the glory of Christ to be manifested through this church. That's why we come. That's why we come. Anytime someone leaves a church, whether it be this church or another, I always ask the question, you know, where are you going and why are you going there? And whenever someone says, well, I like this better or I like that better, I always press that. I say, go there for the mission. If you're not going there for the mission, don't go there. What's the mission? The mission of the church, that's what will bind you. That's what will give you real authentic community is missional unity. You have been conscripted, incorporated, and recruited into a mission. Jesus didn't leave you here so we could all sit around and sing kumbaya. Jesus left you here to do something. What is it? Make disciples. And we're to do it together. It's a community work. So first of all, unity, gospel unity. Number two, body diversity. Body diversity. There was a a difference in gifting here. And I'll just touch on this briefly. There's a difference in gifting here. Paul, his giving to this church was the gospel. He was the person that brought the gospel for the first time, penetrated into the dark kingdom of Macedonia, this Greece, uh, this, this Grecian area, penetrated into it with the gospel. He brought the gospel to these, to Lydia uh, and, and to, to the Roman jailer and all these guys. You read about it in Acts 16. And the gospel took root here. That was what he brought. And then as a return, now they are bringing support and bringing life to Paul. But what What I want you to see here is that there is diversity in the body. Different gifting, different calling, different things that are happening here. Paul impacts us in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says that there is one body with many members. And he says that 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 one body doesn't consist of one member but many. And then he goes on to say what if the the foot should say to the hand, I do not belong because uh, I'm not a hand or a foot you get the point. He goes on, right? The point is is that there is unity and there's diversity in the body. That's what makes the mission happen. Those two things are important. Number three, divine dependency. Divine dependency. I want you to look back. We're going to rethread the needle here in the text. I want you to go back to verse 11, and I want to ask a question. So right after Paul says, thank you for caring about me. Thank you for reviving your concern for me. Then he says this really weird thing. In verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I could do all things through him who strengthens me. To me, that's confusing. The First time I read that, it's like Paul's like saying, hey, thank you guys so much. Couldn't have done it without you. But by the way, could have done it without you. Isn't that kind of cheapen the thanks a little bit? Like you ever heard a thank you? card like that? Like, hey, thanks so much. Really, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have made it this week, but, but really I'm fine without you because I've learned how to have nothing and, and Jesus is going to take care of me. So it's why is Paul doing that? I mean, it's, it's a little confusing. What's he doing? I think what he's doing here is he's, he's trying to make sure to free Philippi from this compulsory weight of having to give. He, he doesn't, he's, he, he's wise enough to know that he, he wants Philippi to support them, not because they have to, but because they get to. I'll give you the key to interdependency. The key to interdependency as creatures, and y'all are creatures, okay? Uh, That y'all was for you, Rachel, because you're from Texas. Okay, the key to true interdependency as creatures is true dependency on Creator. Let me read it again. The key to true interdependency as creatures is true dependency on creator. Paul knows that if he comes into community and he needs something, he'll destroy community. If he comes into community with the freedom of having Christ be everything he needs, then he can actually benefit community. So what we do is we come into, sometimes we come into community and we say, I I need to be needed, I need to need others. But when we come in and we're needy, It actually destroys it. It destroys it. What Paul is saying is he's saying, thank you for supporting me, but just don't forget, Jesus has got me. I'm good. Love that you guys supported me, but you didn't have to. Thank you for doing it. Continue to do it. But just know, you don't have to. It's like this, okay? My kids, I I love to take my kids to the store. Um, And and, and there's always kind of this little thing that happens when I say, I'm gonna run to the Fred Meyer, you know, who wants to come? And usually the first one that says, I want to go, I say, okay, I'll take him. And so whichever one I take, for a little while I was doing this thing where I'd get him a treat, you know, I'd get him a toy or I'd get him something, because I just want to bless them. I love these kids. They're so cute, you know, just want to bless them. So I take them and I get him a toy. And then it was really sweet. And They loved going to the store with daddy, right? And then this weird thing happened where they started loving to go to the store with daddy, not because they love daddy, but because they really wanted a treat. And I was just like, man, this is no longer a gift, It's not a gift anymore. It's an expectation. It's an entitlement. You want to kill community? Expect something. Come into it with an entitlement. Paul wants these guys, thank you for your gift. But just so you know, you don't have to. You don't have to. I'm good. A gift is only a gift if it's not expected, deserved, or earned. So Paul wants to make that very clear for them. Paul's also doing something else though here. He's trying to model for them because remember, Paul is not only their uh, part of the body and he's not only their friend, he's also their pastor and Paul is trying to disciple these guys continually. He's trying to model for them the importance of making Jesus your primary life source. He's trying to model for them what it means to look to Christ in the midst of need. Paul had to learn this the hard way, you know? He had to learn this. He said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, he said, So to keep me from becoming conceited, in other words, so that I wouldn't get prideful, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, in other words, God just gave me so much. He just downloaded so much good theology to me that in order to keep me humble, He gave me a thorn that was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. We don't know what it is, but you can guess to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ... Then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Now, keeping that in mind, I want you to read the most famously taken out of context verse in the Bible. Okay, let's read it again. You all know it. You've seen it before. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, here's what everyone loves to say that means. I can get the touchdown. I can be famous. I can make it. I can do all things. I could take out this David and Goliath, right? I'll take out Goliath. All things. Okay, that's not what Paul's saying here. What Paul is saying, is saying, even if you guys didn't supply my needs, even if I was literally continuing to starve right now in a Roman cell, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is, I can do everything that Christ asks me to do through his strength. That's what he's saying. Whatever God asks you to do, he's gonna give you the strength to do it. And the ironic thing is that Paul's saying that within the context of the fact that he would have been fine without their supply. Paul's like, I'm used to it. I'm used to not having what I need. But I've learned, he says, I've learned to make Jesus enough. He's talking about being full on something that's outside of circumstantial, the, outside of the circumstantial. He's talking about being satisfied in Jesus. Paul has this deep contentment and he just wants Philippi to know, I hey, thank you guys so much. But just so you know, I'm totally content in the Lord. He doesn't send the money back. He receives it. Warren Wiersbe said, prosperity has done more to damage believers than adversity. Prosperity has done more. See, Paul learned in his seasons of having nothing, he learned how to depend on Christ. Paul also saw supernatural provision constantly. Time and time again, God was providing for Paul. Um, He he provided for Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. He provided for Paul when he was shipwrecked and bitten by a snake. I mean, just time and time again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So divine dependency is important because in order for community to truly exist, we all need to first and foremost be satisfied in the person of Christ. Otherwise, you come into the community uh, in a way that's unhealthily needy you're coming not to not to give you're not coming as a full person you're coming as a as a as a needy person and and it's really hard to love needy i mean i love to buy my kids gifts but when they become needy that's when that's when it, it becomes less of a gift right number 4 number 4 Fourth ingredient is humble receptivity. Now, these next two are really important. I'd really love for you to tune in here, okay? These next two are important. They're both uh, different sides of the same coin. Humble receptivity and genuine generosity. Humble receptivity and genuine, in other words, give and take. Give and take. You want to be part of the interdependency of the body. There's a give and there's a take. And I want to start with, believe it or not, I want to start with the take. Because this is actually the bigger struggle for us as Christians in the West, The harder thing that I've recognized for Christians to do is not to give, it's to take. It's to admit weakness. It's to admit need. Paul here, I want you to notice it, Paul receives the gift. He receives the gift. He receives the gift humbly. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. God also loves a cheerful receiver. And oftentimes we don't like being the receiver. Why? Usually it's pride usually pride. I, I don't want someone to know that I don't have it all together. I don't want someone, someone to know that I'm struggling. I don't want to inconvenience someone else. I don't want to burden someone else. I don't want anyone to know. Paul is willing to admit his need. He says, I need. I have needs. I'm a creature. He understands the interdependency because he knows he's a creature. That's something we need to work at. Now, I want to ask the question, how was Paul able to receive this support so humbly and readily? How was he able to receive this support? Let me suggest a few things. First of all, Paul, Paul was honest about his needs. And that's one of the things I'd like to encourage you to do this week is to be honest about your needs. When, when I say needs, your mind goes to monetary. That's typically what happens. It's that's, that's, that's the first thing we always ask. What can, what can we do to help? Can we do, and that's, that's fine. But your needs are especially in this community where we have a safety net of social security and credit cards and food stamps, a lot of times your needs are not always just monetary. Sometimes your needs are spiritual. I love what Paul says. Um, he says it, uh, where is it? Somewhere. Apparently that, oh, here it is. Uh, he, he says it to the, uh, the Corinthians. Lost it again. Guys, I'm failing. We'll get to it later. Uh, He he basically says, I want to come to you in order that I might give some gift to you. What's he talking about? He's talking about a spiritual gift. He's talking about, I want to build you. I want to build you up. I want to see your faith grow. I want to invest in you. Paul saw that. He was willing to admit his need. In this particular moment, Paul's need is physical. He just needs physical help. He needs tangible help. But for us, many times, that's not always the immediate need. For us, many times, we're alone. We're lonely. We're struggling. We're we're barely holding on. We're anxious. We need friendship. We need community. We need someone to know what's going on. We need prayer. And we don't ask for that. Oftentimes, because we're prideful. We have to ask. We have to be honest about our needs. Paul was willing to be honest. Here it is. It was right in front of me. He says, Romans 1.11, I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Look around you. Everyone in this body has a spiritual gift. You need it. You need it. You have to have it. If you're not getting it, then you are malnutritioned. And I think most Christians are. You're malnutritioned. If church for you is just listening to sermons, you're malnutrition because church is the body of Christ and plugging into the body life of Christ. So you've got to be honest about your needs. If you're not asking the body for help, you're not being honest about your needs. Secondly, Paul was mature enough to see that their giving was actually to their benefit. You know, one of the reasons we don't ask people for help a lot of times is because we don't realize that it's actually good for them to help us. I had a guy, a brother, text me yesterday, Steve. Steve texted me yesterday, checking on me about something. And I'm like, dude, why are you texting me? You're the one that's having all this hard stuff. I should be texting you. And I almost went, you know what, dude? How are you? Don't worry about me. And I thought, you know, Steve needs to ask me. It's good for Steve to ask me how I'm doing. It's good for Steve to pray for me. It's important. It's, it's part of the give and take. It's part of the interdependence. Look at verse 17. Paul notes this. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I res- <laughs> the fruit that increases to your credit. It's good for you to give to each other. It's good for you to carry each other. Yesterday, I just, this, this light bulb went on, and I was like, man, I'm anxious, kind of depressed. The life is hard. It's smoky. It seems like everything's terrible. Everyone's fighting. What's going on? And then I just took like 30 or 40 minutes and started texting friends. Hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? I was full. My spirit was lifted. Why? Because I started pressing into giving. How how can I care for people in the body? Check in on people. How can I pray for you? It was the craziest thing. So Paul knows these guys need to give to him because it's good for them. I think if we started thinking about that, we would start asking for help a little more. It's not just an inconvenience. It's healthy. I think it was the household of faith you guys used to say the needs of the body activate the gifts of the body. Right? Am I getting that right? The needs of the body activate the gifts of the body. The reason that we don't activate the gifts of the body is because we're not being honest about the needs of the body. Someone has a gift of encouragement. You're you're, you're stealing that opportunity for them to use that gift by not being honest about the fact that you're discouraged. Somebody has a gift of wisdom. You're stealing their opportunity to use that gift of wisdom because you're not being honest about your need for wisdom. Are you with me? The other thing here, and the reason I think Paul was willing to receive this gift so humbly was because Paul also saw that this gift was from the Lord through Philippi. It was from the Lord. My friend Ryan Immel said this the other day. I thought it was profound. He said, the body is the riches of Christ. The body is the riches of Christ. It's like that old joke, you know, like the guy's drowning and he's praying, Lord, help me. So a boat comes and the boat says, hey, you know, you want to know the Lord will help me, Right. It's like we're praying for God to help us, but the way that God often helps us is through his body. The body is the riches of Christ. We gotta ask, we gotta press into it, we gotta say, Lord, you're gonna give me wisdom, you might give me wisdom through your body. You, you don't encourage me, you might give me encouragement through your body. Number five, and lastly, the last ingredient here I want you to see is genuine generosity. Genuine Generosity. The most stunning feature of our passage today is the generosity of the the church at Philippi. It's stunning. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says this about the church at Philippi. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's Philippi. Okay, Macedonia is the region in which Philippi is located. He says, for in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul's saying the church at Philippi is poor. They've been going through a hard time. And in that hard time, they have been the most generous. You know who he's writing to? He's writing to Corinth. Corinth was not a poor church. Corinth was a influential church and they were a very selfish and dysfunctional church. That's why he wrote two long letters dealing with particular pastoral issues. And he's saying, hey, the churches up in Macedonia that barely have enough for themselves, they're giving, they're supporting. He says, for they give according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in relief of the saints. They're begging us to help, (laughs) And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God. So Paul Paul is saying this church at Philippi is so generous. They're, They're struggling themselves, yet they are the ones who have made, as he says in verse 18, made me well supplied. Note in our text in verse 18, he says, I've received full payment I am more, or and more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So everything that these guys sent to Philippi, or pardon me, everything these guys sent to Paul was not out of their abundance, it was out of their need. These guys were radically generous. And I just need to ask the question, what creates that type of deep generosity? And how can we tap into that? What would make us the kind of body that is deeply generous? And I have to say this, by the way, because I need you to know this. This is one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of. You guys get this. You guys live this. But I want to encourage you to continue in these areas because I think there's a few things here that that Paul... um, that shaped the church at Philippi to be so generous. First of all, first of all it was a community of affliction. Look at verse 14. A community of affliction. Paul says it was kind of you to note the word share. To share my trouble. What that means is, is it means that they, they didn't just go, yeah, okay, there's an issue. Um, hope you figure that out, right? They, they, they said, we are going to share that affliction with you. We're going to step into that need with you. The, the point is, is that they chose to feel the need rather than just to see the need. And we'll never become generous with one another until we allow ourselves to feel each other's struggles rather than just to see them. Giving starts with truly caring and truly caring starts with truly sharing in each other's burdens and seeing and feeling the struggles that one another has. Hebrews 13.3 says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. We need to step into the prison cell with each other. How do you do that? You do that by by investing your treasure into that person, where your treasure is, your heart will be. The people we care the most about are the people we're closest to. The people that we know the most about how to help each other are the people that we are closest to. So if we know each other well, then we're gonna know where the prison cell is for that person. We're gonna know where the needs are for that person, where the weaknesses are for that person. So they shared in affliction. Also, uh, they shared in a worshipful direction. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Note note this. He uses Old Testament worship language. A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that the, the, the supply that you guys gave was a worshipful act to God. It was pleasing to God. You know, we think about the Old Testament sacrifices always being like atoning, like they're paying for sin. That's true. But they were also a way for the saints in the Old Testament to express affection to God, to worship God, to, to please God with the fragrant smelling aroma of sacrifice. He's saying that this gift that you gave to me is worshipful to God. And that's the primary key to generosity is God, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this because I want to please you. That's why the New Testament says true religion is this, that you care for widows and orphans. Why? Because when you do that, no one's, there's no reciprocal return on that. Widows and, orph- the, widows and orphans don't further you in your career. They're not someone you put in your, your contacts and say, this is going to help me out in the future. They, they just receive it, and that's it. And, and, and where does it go? It goes straight to the Lord. It's straight worship, right? I mean, some of the people in this church that work with our kids every week, you don't see them. You don't know they're back there. You don't know they're caring for our kids. You don't know they're teaching Jesus. That pleases the Lord so immensely. The things that we do for God. When no, I have a neighbor that has dementia. I've met her 30 times. She does not remember me. Every time. It's so sad. Every time she says, sir, excuse me, sir, you know, can you help me? And I help her. And then she says, what's your name? It's so sweet. She prays for me every time. She prays for me every time. She grabs my hand. She prays for me. It's so sweet. But she never remembers me. (laughs) And it's like, I'm like, you don't have a clue how many things I've done for this lady. She doesn't remember any of them. She doesn't, you know. And and it really hit me yesterday. I'm like, that's a perfect opportunity to just worship the Lord. Because there's no credit. She doesn't know how many crazy things I've dealt with for her (laughs) before. She doesn't remember any of them. You know, She, she doesn't. But God does. So Paul makes that clear. He's like, your guys' generosity is worship to the Lord. Number three, their generosity was an emptying expectation. Look at verse 19. Paul says, My God will supply, he says, I, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying here is he's saying, I'm confident that as you guys have have given, not out of your abundance, but given out of your, your poverty, that God will refill that bucket. Now, listen to me on this. This is not prosperity theology. This is investment theology. God loves to put resources where he knows resources will be used rightly and will be used well. God actually is a really good investor. He loves to see his kingdom invested in. So, it's not that, well, you know, give money so God will give you bigger barns, or give money so God will give you a better car. No, it's it's give money because God will see you as a conduit for you to pass resources. He will. Jesus talks a lot about that. If you be faithful in a little, God will give you in more. Not so that you can have more, so that you can give more. <laughs> That's the point. He wants good investors. Notice that he says he will supply your every need. It doesn't say he will supply your every greed, as one commentator noticed, right? It's 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 not... Everything you want, he's going to give it to you. Just, just, be, just be generous. You know, we're praying for bigger barns and bigger houses and bigger raises. Uh, let's pray for a, a lifestyle that is more sacrificial, that's about giving away more, not about getting more so we can live a happier life now or whatever it is. So how can we do this? What does it look like to do this in the body practically? We'll get into this in just a minute. I want you to see one more thing and it comes to generosity and that is Paul's very last words here in verse 23. Notice how Paul ends the epistle. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul ends with grace. He ends with grace, and what I think he would have us remember here is that it is grace and the willingness to believe grace that creates generous Christians. It's the grace-saturated spirit. Notice he says that uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As Christians, when we are overcome by the gospel, when we are overcome by God's generosity to us, kindness to us, we instantly, reciprocally want to be generous and kind to one another. So, what does this look like? What we're looking at here is we're looking at a beautiful snapshot of Jesus' prayer that the church, that the body would be interdependent. How do we become interdependent? We become united, same mission. We recognize our diversity, that we have different strengths, different giftings, different resources, and we recognize that Christ is the ultimate source of our life. And then we step into the give and take. We start to be honest about our needs. We start to be honest about our struggles. We start to be honest about our resources, and we press into one another. The secret weapon to the church is the church. This church, in order for this church to be healthy, you have to press into it. You have to press into one another. You have to be honest about what's going on in your life. Let the gifts of the body edify you. Let the gifts of the body grow you. This is what I think this passage is calling us to do. So, where does that start? What does that look like practically? First of all, I just would invite you guys this week to pray about two areas that you could be honest with someone in the body or people in the body of need that you have. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's monetary, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's relational. Are you willing to be humble enough to trust the body that it can be the very, the very answer to the prayer that maybe you've been praying? Are you, let it, are you re- ready to let the body be that for you? So I, I want to challenge you. want to write down two needs and then I want you to text them out or speak them out to someone in this body or some group in this body. I feel so blessed in my phone. I got like seven different groups going with people in this church and I know I could text any one of them and say, hey guys, I'm just struggling with this man, guys, I just need help with this. And I know they would respond. There are people in this church ready for body life. But I want just encourage, get someone's phone number today. Take someone to lunch after this. Begin a relationship. Meet up with someone this week. Press into the body. Begin body life. This church has the privilege of being able to support people monetarily and spiritually. We set aside money for people that are struggling, need help with their bills, people that, that, that are having a crisis, and the church can do that. But I need you guys to be radars looking for those opportunities to let me know and let the church know. Hey, so-and-so, they're falling behind on their rent. They would never tell us that. Great, the church can help with that. Your guys' tithes and offerings can go to help that. We want to do that. But people don't ask for help. So I just want to release you guys as as deacons, as diacons, as servants to go forth and look for opportunities for this church to be generous. Be honest about your needs. Also be honest about your giftings. Be honest about your resources. Write those down. Have you taken time to clarify uh, what, what some of the areas that you can contribute are? Some of you are very encouraging. You should be like laser focused on people that are discouraged. Some of you guys have the gift of wisdom. You should be laser focused on people that are in crisis in their life, looking for wisdom, looking for answers, looking to, to draw them to the gospel. Consider your shortcomings, consider your giftings. So we challenge you guys in this, this week. And I would love to see, through the years, relationships like Paul had with the church at Philippi begin to bloom. As the Spirit of God begins to produce fruit through one another, as we care for one another we are the church. Every single one of you guys came here today and has come into this church for a particular reason. And, and, and I don't mean the reason that you were thinking when you came. I mean, God brought you here for a reason. And I want to tell you what that reason is. It's for the gospel, for the mission of the gospel, and it's to begin living within the giving and the receiving of body life and pressing into one another. Amen? So we have a really cool privilege. This, almost, this kind of stuff almost never happens. We literally have a real life situation that <laughs> almost exactly mirrors what we just read about in the Bible. And, and I wanna take a little bit of time to kind of explain that with you guys and, and open up an opportunity for you, uh, for us as a family to be able to partner uh, with a particular situation. So I'm gonna close in prayer. I'm gonna ask Levi and Rovins to come on up wherever you guys are at. Uh, come on up guys and, and grab a seat as I close in prayer. And then uh, we're gonna have a quick conversation as a family. Father, thank you so much. For the 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 book of Philippi, Philippians. Thank you so much, Lord, for this window into the way that your grace and the gospel shaped and cultivated such an amazing love for one another. God, we want that, Lord. I want that for myself, for everyone in this body. God, we want to be used by you. We want to be instruments in your hand. We want to to step into that interdependence that Jesus, that you wanted from us, that reflects the Trinity. So Lord, I pray that over this church. I pray that this week we would be wrestling, Lord, what are, what are the resources that I have? What are the giftings that I have? How can I give that to the people in this church? What are the needs that I have? What are the weaknesses that I have? Lord, would you make that clear as we wrestle with that? And we'll, God, we thank you so much for two years of grace on this church. Lord, thank you for the ministry that we've been able to do and we anticipate the years to come. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen. Alright. So, I don't I think everybody knows Levi and Rovens. If you don't, you need to. Um, so there's a situation going on in, in Uganda right now that I'm going to let them kind of explain uh, that is so eerily similar to Paul's situation. And I just think it's crazy that our name is Philippi And that we might have an opportunity to be Philippi, literally, in this exact situation. I know this is hard for you guys, and and, and this particular person means a lot to you. So I want to let you kind of explain, what is the situation going on with this gentleman? What does he do? And what has happened? And then we can kind of talk about how I think we as a church can come around and support uh, this in particular. So who's taking it?
1: Okay. Is this on? Hey. Hey, guys. I'm Levi. This is Romans. So we have a friend in Uganda right now that is in prison and uh, he's the director of a school. So he started a school in a village and uh, he just had a heart for, uh, there was a bunch of orphans, a bunch of kids that weren't in elementary school. And so he went through the village and he thought, hey, we should start a school and take care of these kids. So he talked to his wife, talked to his family, uh, I think his brother, two brothers, they moved to this village, gave up their homes in the capital and started a school in a mud hut. And now they have like seven classrooms and they have two acres of land. They have all the government paperwork in line to become a registered school. They're in the process. And so um, right now in Uganda, there's, uh, there's like some killings happening in the Masaka area of the villages. So there's been like hundreds of people have been murdered. And uh, people are finding letters on the ground threatening to kill people and like with names of people that are going to be killed next. So it's, we don't know the politics of it. We, we don't know the details. But a, a neighboring school, the director or somebody was jealous of our friend Jingo, because Jingo is doing this as a ministry for free. He's not getting any money. He's not collecting school fees. Everything is donation. And the other school, they're actually receiving school fees from parents, but potentially Jingo's free school is taking the kids from the other village or something. I don't, I don't know the, the drama, but this other director accused Jingo Of writing some of the letters and being part of the group that's murdering people. So he's basically guilty until proven innocent. Um, This person has connections with people in the police and it's a third-world country. There's a lot of corruption. Possibly someone's been paid off. And so now he's been thrown in prison and he's been in jail for almost two months now. And He's being tortured, he's being beat up, he's being abused. Um, Potentially he's blind in one eye now. Um, We tried to get him out on a medical exemption to go to a hospital and that failed. So so they tried to hire a lawyer to get him out and the lawyer failed. So then I hired a lawyer from the capital to work through the process to get him out of jail. And we have a lot, we've gotten a lot more information by going this route because we think the local lawyer has been uh, bribed or threatened. And um, so we're just trying to help him out. Um, Of all the missionary trips we've ever done, we dug a well in her village where she grew up. We owned. We also owned two acres of land through an NGO, and we were trying to build an elementary school. And he was. A part, he's a part of our NGO, and he's. He's always volunteered, and helped us with the well drilling operations, uh, building her mama house. Uh, any any missionary trip we've ever done, he's always like, "Hey, I'll I'll do it. I'll be there." And he's always donated his time. Um, he's like one of the only people that's that's never stolen money from us. So <laughs> it's like. It's, it's like hard to find integrity over there, and he's, like, he's a pretty legit guy. Um, he's got a wife and three kids. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so he's really struggling. I mean, maybe you could tell. So, Robinson knew him. Long time. She went to school. Maybe you could give some more history.
2: Um, so, so, he's older than me, and how I made Jingo, I was in a school it was a boarding school. So you leave village and you go to town for school. So that's where I met him. He volunteered his time to come lead um, chapel. We call it chapel where Christian kids meet up and uh, worship God on Sunday. So he was a leader for that. And he will be preaching on a street. There's like a street preaching where he goes on, on the street telling people about God. So he le- really loves God. Then I we we were friends for a long time because i was a leader in that chapel we had a youth group where we used to have all the kids in district meet twice a week it's almost like a kids camp here so we used to lead that together and then when he grew up more got married god blessed him and to start at school and he was also a leader in a church near that so he's been really honest and good so when levi and he knows english so that's why he was on a team when we, met, we went with mom in the village to help out his wife. They are good people. They have kids. She was helping us, like, do laundry or, like, clean. And he was helping with building wells and interpreting for you. So he's been really in our lives for a long time. We've known him for a long time. And seeing him in a prison right now, it's been really hard for both of us, for all of us, mom, you all of us so you know
0: that's so it's just you know thinking about this like here's a guy who's been wrongfully accused who's doing good work over there and literally feels like he has nobody to stand up for him and so so Levi and Rovins have been um standing in the gap for him um but the the local lawyers have just not worked so so and I was listening to some clips of him talk so this other lawyer in Kampala's Pretty legit, and he seems like he knows what he's doing, and I think he's going to be the guy to be able to get him out. Um, but he needs he needs to get paid. Now you're thinking loyal, <laughs> lawyer fees here. You're thinking like lots of money. This guy's like twenty or thirty bucks an hour, uh, right for for a lawyer, which is crazy. So so what I would love for our church to do is to be able to to fund the payment for that lawyer to be able to get Jingo out of out of jail. And and how cool for this man to know that there's some church in Oregon called Philippi that's helping him, like, I mean, just for him to know that, that Jesus is standing in the gap for him uh, and coming in and advocating for him, I think would be so, so beautiful. So so that's the plan. We don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, there's a lot of things. Um, but the church is committed to, to a chunk of money um, to give... Just just right off the bat to pay some lawyer fees. But what we did is we created a second income category as a church that you guys can give to if you want to help Jingo out. And so w- the way that you'll do that is you can go on our website and our giving platform and just select benevolence instead of general tithes and offerings. And we'll know that that goes into the fund to, to help him out. You can also put that in the memo line uh, of a check or whatever. So whatever the Lord might lead you. Um, it's not going incra- to be a crazy amount of money. I mean, I think a couple thousand dollars, something like that total is kind of maybe the goal we're shooting for but I just wanted to open it up for you guys to have the privilege. Now, we could have just done this. I could have just said, okay, we'll give some money and then we won't tell the church about it. But we're a family here and I I really wanted you guys to have the the privilege of hearing uh, so that you can pray for Jingo. Uh, He's being beaten. Literally, I mean, this is crazy. I just we, we we can't even get our heads around what that would be like for, for him. He's doing good work. He's taking care of kids. Um, we want to help him out. So so that's kind of the call. I just thought it was crazy how similar it was to Paul's situation. You know, I mean, you got someone who's sitting in jail and that doesn't have anyone to go to bat for him, and, and we're going to go to bat for him. We're going to be that. So so I just want to invite you guys into that. Um, Levi and Robins are available for more questions um, if you guys have more questions about him. Uh, I don't know how much you guys have pressed into these guys, but these guys have done an immense amount of work. I mean, Robins is from Uganda. Uh, they've built wells over there. They've done so has Valerie, and, and, and so, so much work over there. I would encourage you guys to ask them, what's going on over there, and how can we pray, and what's God doing uh, in that area? These are amazing people. I've been over there myself in Uganda. It's incredible, um, so... Let's pray for Jingo. Was there anything well, else? Just, just yeah. real quick. So yeah. I
1: I interviewed Jingo three years ago. And so on, on YouTube, I have a video interviewing him and looking through his school. And it, it's more developed now because it's been a few years. But uh, you can see some of the classrooms. Yeah. There's like 200 kids there in the video. It's hard to hear. I didn't have a lapel microphone. And like there's the cicadas and animals and motorcycles and kids singing and jumping around. So it's like hard to hear what he's saying. Might have to listen to it twice, but uh, it's cool, it's though. a cool tour. Yeah. We tour the whole thing and his vision for what he wants to do in that community. Yeah. So, um, so I do have a video. I can um, show you guys the link. Yep. And uh, you can check it out and see him talking and explaining yep. what's going on. So. Yep.
0: And I can send it out, too. I have the link, so if anyone's interested in that. Yeah, okay. So, all right, guys. Well, we're going to celebrate. Uh, we're going to pray for Jingo. We're going to celebrate God's grace over our two years as a church. So let's just pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for um, giving us the opportunity to partner and to to advocate, Lord, for, for this man, God, that has been wrongfully accused, that is um, probably sitting in a terrifying situation right now, God wanting to be back with his wife and kids. Um, Lord, we just ask for justice here, God. We ask that you would use our hands to, to pay this lawyer, God, that he would come in and reveal the truth, Father. And uh, we just pray for this man to be set free. And I pray that he would give all the glory to you, God, that he would know that Jesus, you care about him, that you know his name, that you haven't forgotten, that you've provided his every need, that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, Lord, because of the interdependence of the body. So thank you, Lord, for this very tangible opportunity for us to do what we're seeing in scripture today. And we pray that, Lord, we would step into that in Jesus' name. Amen.